Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of Twins Talk. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Kuh. John, with the Twins officially eliminated from the playoffs, who, if anyone, are you rooting for to win the World Series? Uh, I think I'm firmly rooting for the Phillies. The uh, Phillies? Interesting. Yeah. Um, Kyle Schwarber is, like, one of my favorite players. I think partially because he's managed – because for some reason, the Phillies insist on having, having him as the leadoff hitter despite the fact that he's back hundred. <laughs> um, it's just a fun team to root for. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of personalities on their team. Uh, Nick Castellanos can't, can't stop hitting a homer when it, whenever anything sad is put on a TV broadcast. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a fun team and they're, they're hilarious. I think. Yeah. The Castellanos thing is one of the most like hilarious ongoing things that just keeps on happening. It's yeah. hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I like the Phillies. Here, here's my problem with the Phillies is uh, they're fans obnoxious. Can't, I can't handle Philly fans. Uh, and maybe that stems back to uh, some of my Vikings fandom and playing yeah. the Eagles mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, yeah, Philly fans are obnoxious, hard to deal with. However, uh, I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. He, uh, He's been everything everybody thought he was going to be and more. And the yeah. fact that he's just still killing it, uh, you know, like 12 years into his career now, uh, it's pretty incredible. I, I love Bryce. And he kind of, when he was coming up, kind of coincides right with when, like, I started becoming a fan of mm-hmm. baseball. Yeah. And so it's kind of like right alongside, like, oh, Bryce Harper, he's the next big star. And then he really was, which doesn't happen very often. Right. Of course, it was the whole irony of him leaving the Nationals and them winning the World Series. So. Um, it would be nice for him to finally get, get his a chance ring. to uh, potentially win the World Series. I know he's already been in a World Series when the Phillies lost, yeah, I think two years ago. But um, yeah, it it would be cool for you know get a, one of the arguably best players in baseball to finally get that monkey off his back and uh, and have a championship of his own. Yeah, I think it'd be fun for pretty much anybody except the Astros. The Astros have been there so many times, right? Here's the thing is I'm not like, oh, they're the cheaters. They shouldn't win, right? Because really there's Altuve left and there's Bregman left who have both more than proven themselves outside of the cheating stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody else – Verlander was part of that team too, but he obviously wasn't a hitter. And so everybody else is like completely unscathed from that scandal. And so, yeah, it's not really that. It's more just like they just always do this. They're always in the LCS. They're Mm -hmm. always – uh, in the World Series, it seems like. And so any of the other ones, I think I'm fine with. The uh, Rangers and the Phillies would be fun. Uh, Diamondbacks, they're maybe like the worst team that's made the playoffs in five years. And so the fact that they've made it this far is pretty incredible. Their run differential is like the run differential of a 75-win team or something like that. Oh, is it that so, bad? I didn't look at yeah, the Pythagorean, so I, I didn't I, see I it. think they were like negative 75 runs wow, on the season, incredible. something like that. But it's just the magic of Corbin Carroll and Zach Allen keeping yeah. it going. I mean, sometimes that's all you need. And then, of course, like an underperforming Dodgers team as well. Yeah. Like, those are those are some good recipes for success. Yeah. Let, actually, let's do a quick tangent here because I want to talk about really quick some of the uh, discourse around the playoffs. And then we'll get to the Twins like oh, yeah. always. But yeah. th- there's been – there's this discourse every single year and everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, the – best teams never win in the playoffs, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, there's a little bit of that this year again, but we, you and I spoke about this earlier, but there's part of this where it's just that teams that were good in the regular season got hurt at the wrong time, right? The Dodgers are just out of starting pitchers. You have the shell of Clayton Kershaw and you have nobody else. Lance Lynn gave up four home runs and that's pretty much a typical Lance Lynn start at this point. And so, um, you know, there's that. There's the same thing essentially with the Braves where they had Spencer Strider and then they were running out a bunch of guys who maybe had some good metrics, but maybe weren't as 
good as you would think. And then Max Fried, who had a blister and hadn't pitched in a month, right? Uh, or if you want to go over to the AL side as well, the Orioles were not good really at all all year. They didn't hit great. They didn't pitch great. None. They had like a few stars in there with Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, but there was nothing there that was really screaming, overpowering number one seed. The Rangers winning that game was, or that series was completely unsurprising to anybody who had followed baseball. And so I don't know. I, I don't have anything specific I want to say other than this is baseball. This is how it works. You catch guys at the wrong time, and the best team almost never wins the World Series. So, yeah. And I hate this like assumption that, like, oh, getting five days off is like worse for your team, you know? It, it's not in any way. I, I mean, I would argue that most of these players would have. I mean, as part as part of this whole playoff ordeal, right? They they were okay with this arrangement of yeah, let's have the the top two teams in each league get a bye to the second round, and right. um, it just hasn't worked out in the last couple of years. And I think that's it, it. Maybe shows that I don't know. It shows that the the scenario is flawed, though, right? And and like yeah. you mentioned, I mean, I think you tweeted out this, and then I kind of sent a reply on it. Um, the Pythagorean between the Orioles and the Rangers is like super close. Like the Rangers were based on Pythagorean win loss were 96 and 66. Yeah. The Orioles are 94 and 68. So very evenly matched um, matchup. And people were just kind of wondering how is this, you know, 101 loss team just getting dominated by this 90, <laughs> uh, sorry, 101 win team getting dominated by this 90 win team. It was like, well, they're not, they weren't really a 101 win team and a 90 win team, you know? Yeah. Um, and when you're the other thing too is when you're reducing it all down to five games, right? A five game series, mm-hmm. literally anything can happen. That's the that's the whole point, right? It's part of the fun. It's a feature. It's not a bug. And right. so, and, if you if you wanted to just award the best team, the championship would go to whoever had the best regular season, mm-hmm. right? And and I mean, I don't know if you're uh, a big fan of European soccer, but uh, one big thing about European soccer is that they don't necessarily have playoffs, right? Yeah. Like they have. They have kind of your, you know, league standings and they have the Champions League, which obviously is kind of all of Europe. And, you know, I wouldn't be too offended. And I think this I mean, this happens in hockey as well, where, you know, you give give the teams that did the best in each league, you know, some something to to, you know, like an award or something like that, like a commissioner's shield or something like that. Right. And then recognize that the World Series is ultimately kind of one of the uniquely American things about sports, really, like playoffs in general, like a very american thing that we get to see and more often on pretty much every single playoff scenario that's ever been happening in a major in american sports the best team throughout the regular season doesn't isn't usually the last team to uh yeah. to hold up the the league trophy well in baseball especially too because it's such a long season everything mm-hmm. about the playoffs is like completely antithetical to how the rest of the baseball season goes right, right? where the the whole baseball season is built off of length the best teams have the best records because of depth mm-hmm. depth doesn't matter in a three five seven game series all that matters is your best players and right. so if ronald acuna gets one hit if mookie Betts gets two hits in the course of a series well now that's that's rough right but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean those players are bad or those teams are bad it's just mean you caught him at the right time. Right. And if you look at the Rangers team, I mean, they were one of the most dangerous teams all season in terms of offense. Uh, but they also went a month without Corey Seager, right? He was hurt yeah. for the beginning of the season. Uh, Nathan Ivaldi was hurt for pretty much like the last two months of the season. Um, Max Scherzer, who was their big, you know, trade deadline acquisition, basically didn't pitch for like the last month. And he hasn't pitched on the playoffs either. So, yep. you know, they've had a lot of successes and, and failures throughout the regular season that 
didn't necessarily occur to them in, in the last two playoff series. So yeah. um, and just Mitch kudos Garver, to them. Yeah. And Mitch Garber. Yeah. yeah. But somehow found another gear. Pretends it's 2019 again. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But no, it, I, I really, I, I think there's good storylines around each of these teams, even if it is the Astros that ends up winning it again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said too for that dynasty and that long lasting dynasty. That's basically been given a second wind here by uh, Alvarez and Tucker coming in and kind of saving that offense. So, I think there's a lot to look forward to here. I like the Diamondbacks. I think it's fun to watch the Diamondbacks. I think there's a lot of parallels between the Diamondbacks and the Twins. The Twins mm-hmm. had a better season overall, but there's you know you got the star rookie hitter uh, in Corbin Carroll versus Royce Lewis for the Twins. You got the uh, top line starting pitchers Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly. Uh, you've got kind of the nice veterans around everybody, and so I think there's a lot of parallels there. And just uh, I go to a few Diamondbacks games a year since they're fairly close to me. And so I've always kind of adopted them as my second team. Nowhere near how I feel about the Twins, but still, that, that would be a fun story. I do think if the Diamondbacks ended up winning this year because of just the uh, the loudness of the discourse against the playoffs, that there might be some uh, changes, which I don't want. I like this playoff format that we have. So maybe for that reason, go Phillies. <laughs> I mean, you could argue, though, the Diamondbacks, like, you know, they've, they've deserved their results, right? Yeah. Um, they handily beat the Dodgers. Wasn't even close. It wasn't close. Like they nope. were forcing Dave Roberts to make some somewhat questionable pitching decisions. Uh, but he had to make those pitching decisions because they were just hitting so well off his starters. Um, and, you know, they obviously dominated the wild card round as well, going to out there. So, yeah, they, they're clearly a team that is on the rise. They made a really good trade deadline acquisition, in my opinion, getting Paul Sewell to be their closer. Yeah, that was great. Um, that really helped shore up their bullpen. And even though they're you know somehow doing this with kind of a one-two punch at starting pitching with nothing really left to show behind it, like this four this seven game series is really going to see how good the, the you know the number three and number four starters are going to be on on that um, Diamondbacks team. If Gallon and Merrill Kelly pitch great games. They they only need to win those four, you know, to, yep. to win a seven game series. So, is it a little bit flawed of a team makeup? Yes, but it's also a team that is you know well positioned for the playoffs. So and they're hot at the right time. The bullpen, which mm-hmm. has been a big issue, Seawall uh, cleaned things up for them. But then they've had other guys step up here down the stretch too. And uh, I, I don't think their bullpen gave up a run against the Dodgers, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I guess similar to the Twins, right? Like if. If let's just say Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray won all their games that they needed to win in a seven-game series, that's that's four wins right yeah. there if you can manage it. So, yeah, um, of course the the Phillies are well stacked up too, right? They have all the completely. star hitters that we've talked about already, and then yeah. they have Wheeler and Noller, Nola on top of their rotation, and then they have some, uh, I think, more solid guys behind them for uh, three and four uh, rather than Brandon Fought. And I have no idea who they would even run out for a game four on the Arizona side. Yeah. So, it's, it would be kind of dicey. It'd be like Ryan Nelson probably or something weird like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough playoffs talk for now. We'll uh, check back in later. I'm sure, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm excited. I think these are two really good series and pretty much any matchup here is going to be fun, which is good because a lot of the playoff games that the twins haven't played in have been pretty boring. It's true. Those, I, I will say like I was probably I was the ones that were trying to watch were probably the 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 Phillies Brave series because that was just you know good baseball you know it was going to be interesting um, but the Dodgers series was hard to watch 
because yeah. the pitching was just so bad on the Dodgers side. It just it didn't matter how good the offense was for the Dodgers, and frankly, it didn't really show up. Like you just it just didn't feel like they ever had a chance. Yeah, I know some people want to be like, oh, it's the Dodgers. They do this every year, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this one wasn't really anybody's fault. It's just yeah. they had uh, all of their starting pitchers get hurt, and then Urias gets suspended for domestic violence again. Yep. And you're just you're just out of guys, right? And so I think it's more incredible that they got as many wins as they did with mm-hmm. those starting pitchers. Yep. Well, that's enough on uh, the other teams. Let's get back to our team, the Minnesota Twins. So since we last spoke, the Twins were taken out of the playoffs by the Houston Astros uh, with a heartbreaking game four that just, man, I thought somebody was going to get the big hit. Nobody ever got the big hit. It was close the whole way. Um, let, let's talk about that game four really quickly. We won't go as de- as detailed as we normally do, but mm-hmm. uh, let's talk through that one specifically, especially after game three was pretty much a clunker on all ends. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about the end of the season, uh, press availability, avail- availability that the Twins did, and then uh, wrap things up and start to look toward the offseason. So let's start with game four here. Uh, where the Twins lost heartbreakingly 3-2 with the only runs coming on home runs by Royce Lewis and Edward Julian. Do I have that correct? Yes, both solo homers. Yep, Both solo homers. Um, And basically the whole story, I think, of this series and of this playoffs for the Twins was offense, right? The Mm -hmm. pitching the whole way, other than Game 3 with Sonny Gray, gave the Twins a chance to win. And this game, I think, was a prime example of uh, they came in with a pitching plan and they executed it pretty much flawlessly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Caleb Thielbar gave up the big home run to uh, Jordan Alvarez again, but that's what Jordan does. That's what he's pretty much always going to do. If you can hold that lineup to three runs, you have an excellent chance to win that game. Yeah. And so there's a lot of discourse about, oh, Joe Ryan, should he stay in? Should he not? Well, it doesn't matter. They took him out and, uh, you know, like the move or don't, it worked, I would say. Yeah. I So I was there at the game, right? Uh, but because of traffic and whatnot, I wasn't able to show up until like the second inning. And I'm basically getting to my seats in the upper deck. And I hear uh, now pitching for the twins. I think it was, was it Brock Stewart who came in? Yeah, Brock Stewart first. After yeah. Ryan. And so it, I was like, wait, Ryan's like pitched two innings. Like, <laughs> why are we yanking him? And I, like, I, he hasn't even gone through the entire order a second time. And I was very confused, needless yeah. to say. Um, But yeah, it. It actually worked out. I was yeah. it, it felt a little strange because it was like they're emptying out the bullpen uh, in game four. Like if they win this, they still have to you know, play a game five. But then it's like they had a day of rest. And yeah. then game five, you hope Pablo goes five, six innings. And you don't you only have to use three, four relievers. Yeah. Um, and even if he didn't with the day of rest, I think everybody would have been available outside of Paddock probably coming off of the injury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't really there's no sense in debating the 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 switch because it worked out for the twins frankly and mm-hmm. like you mentioned with the whole Jordan versus Theobar like that was the matchup they were looking for lefty on lefty yep. so there was literally no one else who probably would have been better suited in that spot yep. besides Theobar I don't think it's any less likely that Joe Ryan gives up a home run especially with Joe right. Ryan's track record Completely. right and so um, I mean he gave up a homer to Michael Brantley yeah, and, and that's the one that I think was the bigger idea because he retired the first five, including Jordan. Yep. Um, and then he gave up that two out home run to Brantley. And that's the one that bothers me more than um, the Jordan one. But either way, uh, 
it was a good plan. They worked per perfection. Let's give a special shout out here to John's nemesis, Chris Paddock. I know. Who <laughs> went two and a third, gave up one hit and struck out. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Do you, ha- do you have it right in front of you? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. I, I don't know. He struck out like three or four, I think. But either way, the stuff was looking good. Like Chris Paddock yeah, he was locked out, in. He struck out four guys. Yeah, he struck out four. He was locked in. He got everybody in the lineup out. He gave up one hit the whole way. And you know, his stuff is, I don't think is going to look that good, but moving back to starting, but yeah. I think either way he is in a good spot. And if he's open to it, if the twins are open to it, I think he's a prime candidate for, uh, you know, basically doing what they did with Pablo, which is adding the sweeper, right? He has the fastball changeup, which is his go-to combo, just like Pablo. Uh, he just needs something to get a few more of those righties out. And I think he could take a big step forward. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to turn into Pablo Lopez, right? That's You can never assume somebody's just going to suddenly turn into uh, one of the best starters in baseball. But can he turn into a solid two or three if you get that one more pitch? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the his pitches, for the most part, weren't like super nasty or anything. But earning five called strikes with a fastball was key. Yeah. Getting a couple whips with both the changeup and curveball. I mean, he was still predominantly fastball, but it worked out really well for, for him. And yeah, I'm very curious what it's going to look like when he's going to be pitching um, like as, as a starter, because yep. all his velocities were up, you know, it's his fastball was averaging 96 miles an hour. That's three miles an hour faster than yeah. his season average the year previous. So it's, you know, when he gets back to a, a starting load, what is that number going to come down to? Is that going to be more of like a 93, 92 mile an hour fastball? Um, or has he learned how to maybe up the velocity a little bit on that and still be able to go a little bit of the distance? Right. And from what the twins said in their end of season media availability, it sounds like they're expecting him to not be, you know, 96. He was hitting 97, 98 a few mm-hmm. times, but uh, more around the like 94, 95 range, which if he's there, that's still a pretty significant step forward. Yep. And I think one thing the twins have shown throughout the last few years is being able to find that velo, right? They did it with Pablo. Uh, they did it with, uh, Joe Ryan, when he first came over, you know, got that 89, 90 up to 91, 92. And, you know, that little tick up there can really make a difference when mm-hmm. uh, you're so fastball reliant, like Pablo became, like Joe Ryan is, and like Chris Paddock is. Yeah. It, it uh, will be definitely interesting to see how he, let's just say, matures uh, in the, in the, over the offseason into spring training. Yeah, definitely. But he'll have a full offseason to get ready to build up that uh, starters workload. Uh, but I think we'll still see some similar stuff as we did with Kenta, where it's just like there's going to be stretches where he probably doesn't look good. There's probably going to be a few weeks where he needs off at some point just because the body just has to get used to uh, the physical nature of pitching every five days. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but the Twins are going to need to add a starting pitcher. So yeah. we'll, we'll uh, go over that in a moment. But yeah, big shout out to him for really locking in and taking down those middle innings. And then it was finished off by uh, the two guys that finished off games all year, which is Griffin Jackson and uh, Duran, John Duran, who went two innings at the end and was flawless. Uh, we had talked about this before where it's like, oh, does Duran have it? Seems like he's getting hit around a lot. Well, he locked down in the playoffs. He just did not give up anything all yeah. October. He was, was inc- he was incredible in the playoffs. Yeah, which is what you want from your closer, right? Step up in the big spots. And, you know, if this is a down year for Duran, you know, I will take that every single day of the week. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball straight up and definitely one of the best closers. Yeah, I, I was a little – the one thing I would have loved here um, would have been Ryan going three and then pushing him on the back so Duran only has to pitch one inning. But you know what? He had the two-inning yeah. two save and it was – well, 
save opportunity, I guess they it was never truly an opportunity because they were down, but right. uh, he had the yeah, two inning outing that was flawless. And it was yeah. um, a lot of fun to watch. What, and, and it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, the hitters didn't step up, but when your backs are against the wall, you need your best players to do that. And that's drawn Duran is definitely one of the best players. And that's what he did. Right. Yeah. He went out there, gave him two scoreless stuff was just as good in both innings. Um, they, they've used him a lot less in that role this year, especially, you know, once they moved him firmly into the closer spot. Yep. And I don't think there will be a lot of times where they do that in the future, but it's nice to know that he still has that in the tank so that when you get to October, um, you know, that's still an option because th- there's nobody on the twins that's going to be better to pitch the eighth inning than John Duran if he can also pitch the ninth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, really great stuff from him. Let's talk about the offense really quick, which was basically – the nothing show outside mm-hmm. of Edward Julian and Royce Lewis, which kind of is also how it's been all playoffs. Um, Lewis hit the home runs. He didn't do a lot outside of the home runs. Kepler got a hit, I think in every game except this one. Um, but let's start with the good, which is Edward Julian, who just was not phased by the moment at all. His mm-hmm. at bats were just as good as they were in the regular season. He wasn't chasing. He had the lowest chase rate in MLB during the regular season. And that continued. He was taking walks. He was getting hits. He was hitting homers. Uh, that is a guy who I'm very excited to have in the lineup going forward. Yeah. I mean, once he has a healthy hamstring too, yeah. um, he'll be a lot more dangerous as well, but his bat already speaks for itself. Yeah. I think there's still some positional question questions about is he going to be more of a first baseman, more of a second baseman, uh, maybe more of just a DH playing in the field occasionally type like Jordan Alvarez. But uh, that bat will play, right? The I think the biggest question that um, you have for him going forward is just his whiff rate because he does still swing and miss quite a bit. He just swings and misses at pitches in the zone. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's more fixable, right? It's not like he's chasing way outside of the zone, but – Get him to get be a little more aggressive to swing at some better pitches earlier in the count. Yeah, maybe his walks go down a bit, but if you're trading that off for fewer strikeouts uh, and a few more doubles into the gap, I think you'd take that. Yeah, I, he's been really impressive, and I honestly like him as a second baseman. Like for the future, I thought he played pretty well. Honestly, he, he had solid defense. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe it, it wasn't necessarily shown off in this game, but you know, he turned a couple double plays. He had some. Yeah. Uh, good throws to first and like yeah it wasn't it didn't feel like he was uncomfortable in that position yeah and this is just another we're, we're going to talk about this a lot but another twins development success story that came out of this year that's so central to how um the twins became good because yeah you got the big guys right royce mm-hmm. lewis was the first overall pick he's supposed to be good carlos correa is supposed to be good he wasn't byron buxton supposed to be good he wasn't but you got big improvements from guys like Julian who when you draft him, what was it like the 19th round or yeah. something like that? It was 18, pretty late. 19th, yeah. Yeah. You don't expect him to really be a contributor at all. Those are the guys that are like, if you get anything out of them, if they make it to triple a, that's a pretty successful draft pick, mm-hmm. let alone a guy coming up and being one of your two best hitters in the playoffs. Yeah. It's uh, it'll be exciting to see how he continues to grow. Um, there's yep. still a lot of baseball left for him. So uh, there's still a lot of yeah. ways for him to develop and it would be fun for him to get like another hundred walk season in the major. That would be insane. <laughs> that, that would be pretty cool. But yeah, no, it's um, I was talking about this with some of our uh, SB nation guys the other day where um, a lot of people, you know, they're just getting exposed to the twins. And so they see Julian, they're like, Oh, French Canadian. That's kind of cool. And so I literally had somebody who's over at our Colorado Rocky site. He just messaged me. He's just like, tell me about Edward Julian. And I'm like, what if, Juan Soto struck out a lot more and that's honestly not a terrible comparison. Soto's got a lot more power. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 
the offensive profile is fairly similar. It's shocking, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, actually. If you look at the numbers, he technically finished with 101 uh, runs. Uh, sorry, walks this season, but that's combined through AAA regular season and postseason. Um, but Still. really impressive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he's great. Royce Lewis was hitting home runs left and right. Uh, the, the other thing I was impressed by from him too, is, uh, at the plate, I saw him make a few in-game adjustments that I was really impressed by. And something that I don't think I'd seen as much in the past where, um, you know, getting fooled by pitches outside, chasing them outside, and then correcting in that same at bat or later, uh, down the line in the game and taking some more of those pitches with the, uh, Christian Javier start accepted and maybe that's because of uh the shadows more than anything else i really thought he took pretty good at bats even if the results weren't always there and obviously he hit what was it four home runs in six playoff games something like that it just insane one of the most insane like playoff performances we'll ever see and it's a shame we're not going to be able to appreciate it as much because they didn't make it further yeah i I still think sometimes he he is a little swing happy uh, yeah, but definitely. He, he's, he's a young made, player. You know? Yeah, but he's made huge improvements on that just through the season. Yeah. Um, like we do a lot of tracking of, you know, what are good swings? Uh, what, you know, do you have good swings at pitcher list? And Royce Lewis is like uh, rolling charts is, is incredible. Like he's just been so good at, he's been improving so much and making better decisions at the plate. And I think that was clear in this playoffs, even though it did feel like he, there was some moments where he, you know, just, swung at the first two pitches and got himself into an O2 hole. He's able to kind of discipline himself, get back yeah. into the, into the count and uh, make it a more favorable opportunity for him to have an impactful at bat. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think you can forgive him if he's maybe not the best at pitch recognition because he had played so little in the last three years, essentially. And mm-hmm. so he just hasn't gotten that many live at bats. And I think that's easy to forget because he's been such a central part of the offense since he came up this year. Yeah. And even when he played for the twins last year, that it's easy to forget. He missed so much time with injury that, um, you know, you, you can forgive him a bit if he's getting fooled by a slider way outside the zone. Yeah. I mean, this season, I mean, let's just look at the numbers. He had 280 at bats this season, I think. That's what Fangraphs is telling me, at least, um, in the majors, right? So not even a full <laughs> season, not even a half season of that. Yeah. Uh, 51 in the minors, uh, or eh, yeah, whatever. You know, like, basically, he, he really hasn't had that much uh, major league experience, and he's been uh, hitting the crap out of the ball, which is a lot of fun yeah. to see. And this is the first offseason he'll have in two years to actually – work on whatever he feels like he needs to work on, whether it's mm-hmm. defensively, whether it's offensively, right? The last two years, he's just been recovering from uh, those ACLs. And so now he gets a full healthy off season. He gets to just move on with his life, right? Where it's like, yeah, he has that hamstring strain, but you know, a couple weeks off, he'll be fine. And he'll be able to get it with his regular training regimen, which I think will be really good for him to see. And he'll be starting for the twins opening day. Most likely. Uh, I think, not most likely if he's healthy, he will be. It's just a matter of what position that will be at, which mm-hmm. I think is a lot of the questions the twins have for this off season. Yeah. Um, now here's the bad news is pretty much everybody besides those two did not have a great off season. Carlos Correa came up with a lot of big plays, uh, offensively, especially against Houston. I think he left a lot to be desired. He came up with a few big hits against, uh, Fromber Valdez, but in all of the other games, I think fell a little flat. Buxton obviously was hurt, got the one at bat, uh, which you were at that game. Let's talk about that really quick. How, yeah. how did that Buxton at bat feel in the stadium? So I think a lot of people were super ex- 
excited because he, you know, we, you saw him come to the on deck circle when uh, Solano was batting. So I think everyone mm-hmm. kind of had this idea, okay, is, is Buxton's going to bat? And obviously, like when he came up to the plate, you know, everyone was pretty excited about him, gave him like, you know, standing ovation and, and and whatnot. I will say, for my part, obviously excited to see Buxton in a playoff game. I would have used Matt, I would have used Matt Walner there. Um, yeah, probably, but man, how cool would it have been? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it would have been <laughs> sick if yeah, somehow he gets yeah. like the you know he hits the tying run or you yeah. know, something like that. Like you can't deny the power of his bat. Like he was, in, you know, in in batting practice when he was uh, like I think the day before Game One of the series, you know, he hit a homer into the Crawford boxes uh, in Houston, and yeah, you know, it was kind of it felt like you know one of those like potential Cinderella moments. Yeah. Um, but ah, man, Ryan Presley was a righty and I was like, you've got this lefty bat. Arguably Walner has not been doing very well this playoffs. Like I think he, he's like been doing pretty for, poorly. It's like one for eight or something like that. Yeah. It's like really bad, bad numbers. A lot of ugly strikeouts in there. Yeah. But I would have been like, ah, oh, man, if you really want to get like a shot here, kind of makes sense to bring the lefty out. Um, so yeah. I will say it was it was it was a nice moment. It was a very yeah. nice moment. It, it sounded amazing on the broadcast. Obviously, I mean, for me, the fact that he was even able to put the ball in play was pretty impressive. He hadn't played in a major league game in two months, over two months. He hadn't faced like live in-game pitching in three weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, let, let's talk about Byron Buxton. So we had him on our very first podcast episode. Yeah, uh, he said his goal was to play 135. Was that the number he gave us? It's like 130 games. He was. Yeah, he, was he wanted to play 130, 130 games. Yeah. And when we heard that, we were like, "All right, sounds like he's going to be DHing." And <laughs> we were we were right. He pretty much, uh, not pretty much. He only DHed. He played uh, a rehab game or maybe two rehab games in center field uh, leading up to the playoffs to try to work his way back. Uh, didn't work itself out. He wasn't able to play in the field, but. Uh, he just clearly was never healthy at any point mm-hmm. this year, right? The, the twins yeah. said all year, if he could play center field, he would be playing center field. And mm-hmm. so I, there's been a lot of discourse on Twitter, which probably you shouldn't take seriously, but a lot of people being like, oh, Bucks, he just needs to retire. It's for the good of the team. Come on, man. He just had his worst season ever. He just committed to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He like that. I don't think he's going to be that bad. And even if he is that bad, frankly, his contract is structured so that uh, if he doesn't play or if he plays poorly, you don't have to pay him that much. And so uh, you you pay him that so that he's able to give you the highs of Byron Buxton. And like we've been saying since the beginning, he's been doing this while he hasn't been healthy. So yeah, it was Mm -hmm. a terrible offensive year and we all would have loved to see more. We all would have loved to see him in center field, but he just couldn't do it. And I think, um, if he didn't play at all this year because he was recovering from an injury, then he would have gotten just as much criticism. So there's, there's just no winning here. Yeah. It, like you look at his season totals, you know, 85 games. He was, you know, on pace. If, if you play a full season, probably somewhere in the 30 homer, 90 RBI sort of range, something like that. Um, he also had nine steals, which I thought was impressive. Like the fact that the Twins on a bad would let knee. him run. Yeah, on a bad yeah. knee. A knee that was so bad that he couldn't play center field. But the Twins were like, yeah, if you got the speed, go for it, right? Um, only a 207 batting average, not great. 98, you know, WRC plus. Yeah. It is what it is. But he toughed it out. And he was on track to, to get to 130 games until basically the Twins were like, honestly, the bat's not looking too good and you're, clearly your knee's like not in good shape. Like, 
let's just rest for the last you know month and a half. Let's see if we can get you in a spot where you could potentially be on the playoff roster. He did get a playoff at bat, right? Admittedly, yeah. it took an Alex Kirilov injury for it to happen, but he was working his his butt off to get onto the team. Played, I, I mean, I saw him in a minor league game with the Saints playing center field. He looked that was the one game he played the full the full game there. He looked okay, um, but it, it's just unfortunate that like yeah, apparently even though he's really injury prone, he's also kind of a slow healer. And yeah. it's the opposite of Royce Lewis. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. At least Royce is a quick healer, right? He always comes back faster than you expect. Yeah. But it does sound like, and I mean, you know, the tw- the team obviously is going to be optimistic about, you know, injury prospects going over an off season, but it sounds like they feel like at least the injury that he was dealing with this entire season, that's it's not chronic. It's not chronic. It's, yeah. it's something that can be resolved. And then his other injury where he got that he got surgery on a couple days ago, like that's something that should be resolving pretty soon as well. Um, yeah, maybe he he for for all intents and purposes, he was going to play 130 games this season. You know, they, yeah. the twins weren't actually resting him that much. And granted, that's probably because he was in that DH role. But I think they're they're now kind of ramping up for him to be, you know, the a guy who plays center field at least what? 90 games in a season, right. something like that. And if he contrib- right. can contribute 90 games at center field and, you know, optimistically 40 at, at DH, I think the I think Twins will take that. I mean, I think but... the Twins will take that. And that's, yeah, yeah that's no, optimistic, I, but I think yeah. that, that's, that's not too bad. I think you're right. But I think this season, there's a lot of pauses for many reasons. But one of them is uh, there were all those stats for the last like four years, essentially, of the Twins record with Byron in the lineup and Byron not in the lineup, right? Completely yeah. regardless of if he's hitting or if he's not or if he's in center field or if he's DHing. They were really good when he was in the lineup and they were really bad when he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And this year, I think they finally shook that, right? They played their best baseball in uh, August and September when he wasn't in the lineup. Yeah. And so... That, I, that's not anything about Buck. It's, I don't think necessarily it's like, oh, having Buxton out of the lineup and Michael A. Taylor in the lineup just transformed the Twins and made mm-hmm. them better. Like That's not the case at all. Right. But um, I think what it mostly does is take a lot of the pressure off of Byron Buxton, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we don't need you to DH and play 130 games. If you can play center field for 90, like mm-hmm. you were saying, we will take that you know, all year long. He played at MVP level the last few times we saw him in center field. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. – um, you know, it takes off that pressure, and I think it takes the pressure off of the Twins coaching staff in front office as well, where they're like, I think there was a little bit with Byron this year where he was playing hurt so often mm-hmm. uh, and so much because, like, hey, we just need your bat in the lineup because we don't have better options. Well, now they have the depth. They have better options. They have an off season to maybe add another bat, which I still think they could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there's just a lot less on Byron himself. So he can focus on getting healthy and not forcing it. So maybe if there's just a little bit of a lingering injury on the hamstring, you know what, let's put him on the injury list for 10 days and then we'll revisit after that. Right. Be a little more liberal with that than maybe they felt like they could be in the past. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we really want to be delving into the stats a little bit, I think what's interesting is that he increased his walk rate by 1%, which is great, which is huge because that's been slowly increasing over the years, but, you know, he was such a swing happy guy. Unfortunately, his his strikeout percentage increased, but that's not surprising for this Twins team uh, with setting the record on strikeouts. So, you know, that is it is what it is. Uh, otherwise, OBP was only lower by ten point or no, sorry twelve points. Uh, slugging percentage obviously was down, but can't yeah. blame him for that. Like he just wasn't at full strength. So, I think um, I think there's a lot to look forward to for Buxton. Um, 
And even though this year, yeah, didn't seem like an optimistic year, I think the fact that he was running, getting stolen bases, I think the fact that he still was displaying some power um, is is a good thing. And yep. hopefully he comes back 100% at, at the beginning of next season. Well, and frankly, even if you get uh, his production that you had this year, mm-hmm. but he's playing center field, I think that's a huge upgrade too, right? Yep. Um, and so you basically, again, that just opens up the DH slot for a better bat, if nothing else. But mm-hmm. we know he can be better than that. We know he most likely is going to be better than that. And on that same note, Carlos Correa as well, who's another guy who deserves a shout out for gutting it out, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing where pretty much since May, he was unhealthy and he was hurting, uh, but he gutted it out. He played and people are going to have criticisms of him, but I, I was really impressed by this season from Correa overall, especially once you really learned the extent of what he was dealing with where he described it as literally getting stabbed in the heel when he would take a step. I mean, makes sense that he hit into a team record of double plays, right? And just like Byron Buxton, uh, it was the worst offensive season of his career easily. I don't think anybody expects him to be that poor again. And his peripherals pretty much look the same, right? You get a little bit of better luck. You elevate the ball a little bit more and you're looking good. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Correa for the 2023 season? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously down year offensively, um, he still led the team in RBIs, which I thought was hilarious. That's, I think that's more of a, uh, quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Silver quality of that bats type of stat, you know? True. But he didn't even get to 600 at bats like this season. And remember, that's like a stipulation in his contract. (laughs) But for, but for the twins, that's, uh, you know, I, I think he led the team in at bats, right? Uh, 580. Uh, 514 at bats. I, I don't have the twin, the team. I guess, yeah, the other one might be Kepler. I think it's Kepler actually, who probably has more than that. Really? But. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, uh, 65 RBIs on the season. Um, obviously not great numbers, but it was actually better than last year, last year at 64. So, you know, whatever. Um, it, I'm surprised I'm looking at his, his war on baseball reference. Cause they split out offense and defense. I'm surprised his defensive war is only 0.6 because I thought that his defense was key this year. Um, maybe that's because part of it was maybe Julian didn't look so good out there and, and Polanco had some of, yeah. some of his, his miscues at third, but I, I thought he was a stabilizing force for the defense this entire season. Um, he made some incredible plays in the playoffs for sure, Yeah, uh, but he was making incredible plays throughout the entire season. Um, so it's actually a little surprising to me that his defensive war is that low. Um, yeah, I mean, defensive metrics are so hard to read into, totally. right? Yeah. Because we, we don't have any good way to measure defense. And frankly, I don't know if we really ever will. And so mm-hmm. you kind of just have to pick which one fits your narrative when you're talking about it. But I would agree, like just going off of the eye test, which is still really what you have to do for defense. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was he was playing well out there, yeah. like always. I will say, though, I think after game two of the wildcard series, he to me, he's worth every penny. That, oh, yeah. that contract completely worth it just to just to be able to show that that sort of veteran presence um and of course he you know he had kind of a, a speech at the end of the the division series that kind of just reminding the players hey like you know you're here now we've tasted victory here you've also tasted defeat you know let's get back here next year and i think yep. it's it's comforting for pretty much all the players to know he's here at least for the next five years now right at and least He's going to be leading this team, you know, as a veteran presence, even if it isn't with his bat necessarily. Um, He is, I think he's kind of cemented himself as 
um, a leader of this team. I know last year he he was kind of that, but it also felt weird because he was only on a one year contract. But right. now that you know, we know he's going to be here. Uh, yeah. I think he's really you know kind of put that veteran leadership on on himself, and he's not even thirty yet. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think you're right. Where last year it's like okay, he's here, he's our leader for this season. But how long is he really going to be here, right? And yeah. so like you really saw guys talk more about Buck in that leadership role because mm-hmm. he was locked in for you know six years at that point or whatever. And now that Correa is here too, I think you really saw the team buy more into him specifically in the front office and the coaching staff, right? Um, and even after this down offensive year, the Twins got him on such a team-friendly deal, right? Yeah. You are committed maximum to six years, $200 million, mm-hmm. which is insanely team-friendly for a player of his caliber and his record. And yeah, there's the injury track record, which by the way, we should mention again, the injuries this year, absolutely nothing to do with the injuries that led to <laughs> uh, the Giants and the Mets to back out of their contracts, right? Yeah. And so uh, I-, I said this when he signed on Twinkie Town, but there is not a single team in the league that wouldn't have signed him to this deal, mm-hmm. right? Um, with with his caliber of play, with his postseason track record, right? He is just uh, a great guy that everybody wants to have around. But the reason he came to the Twins uh, and he didn't go back to the Mets or the Giants and said, hey, how about we do this deal with you guys instead was because I think – uh, if I were reading into this probably more than I should, and if I were in his shoes, there's a little bit of, okay, these guys, you know, they're backing out. They're not true to what they say. They had my they had my medicals ahead of time, which they do. They always do when they're negotiating this, and then they change their mind later. Mm-hmm. And I think he felt a little bit spurned by that. And so he comes back to the Twins being like, these guys know me. I like these guys. I really like my year here. Let's do it here, right? And if he would have gone to the Giants or the Mets or the Yankees or the Red Sox or anybody that had the cap uh, to sign him to that deal, they would have been a heartbeat. Yeah. So, yeah. Ultimately, I think he he showed himself in this in this uh, playoff run to be an integral member of the team. And um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see how he does uh, now that he, well, assuming next season he doesn't come back with yeah, uh, like uh, stabbing in his heel basically every time he right. runs. And, and that's the thing with the plantar fasciitis, right? Where you don't really know how it's going to heal. You mostly just need time off. There are some guys that have had it affect them for a very long time, mm-hmm. but. Um, I mean, the fact that he was able to play this year, that he said he was feeling better after some time off. I think, you know, give him the few months off here in the offseason, he'll be good to go. Uh, give him a normal offseason. He hasn't had yeah, a normal offseason in two offseasons, in yep. three years, essentially. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to have, have some stability in his yeah. life, I'm sure. And he'll he'll benefit as well from what I was talking about with Buxton, too. Of, I think you really saw it in the beginning of this year before Julian and Lewis were really up here and Walner contributing mm-hmm. um, where he just put so much on himself. Well, now you don't have to put that all on yourself, right? You yep. have more strength, more uh, responsibilities divvied up throughout everybody else that he can kind of take a little bit of that load off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think that's pretty much everything I want to say here about the 2023 twins. Uh, other than, I think this season is an unquestionable success, right? Yeah. Um, the second half of the year, especially, uh, I think you know, if we would have stopped at the All Star break, I would have had a lot more questions. But that's not how baseball works, and they answered a lot of the questions that I had. And going forward, I feel a lot better about this team than I did about, say, the 2019 team because it's built so strongly around pitching, which year over year is the thing that's most consistent. And so, you know, Pablo is going to be good next year. You know, the bullpen is going to be relatively good next year. Ober, Ryan, Var. We know what they are. Paddock, I think we have a good idea. Now it's just, you know, what's the ceiling of how high can we take it? I think this year established a very solid floor. And then where can you go in the future? Yeah, I was just, I was looking at their Pythagorean. Um, In terms of, I mean, in context, they were kind of 
the worst American League team to make the playoffs. Technically. Yes, technically. But their Pythagorean had them at 93 and 69, which I think if, you know, for a team that finished with 87 wins, if you told me at the beginning of the season that the Twins were going to be a 90-win team, I'm like, yeah, I'd take that any season. Oh, and, absolutely. Um, so they, they have a really they after after basically several years of you know a really patched together pitching rotation like it actually feels like you said it feels kind of good to be going into next year knowing that at least three out of five starters maybe four out of five let's let's give paddock maybe the benefit of the doubt um feels feels pretty settled and we don't have to look to guys like you know, Matt Shoemaker or Dylan Bundy to to round out the the last uh, last spot in this rotation. Martin Perez. Hey, Martin Perez is a solid pitcher now. He he's a solid average pitcher. Yes. But the nice thing about uh, what the Twins have is they have that, and they don't have to pay you know eight million bucks or whatever for exactly. it. Exactly. So, yeah. um, which this was kind of my thought with Walner too. I think there was some discussion with Walner about um, you know what's his long term outlook, what's his future. I'm like, well. It's basically Joey Gallo, right? And that was his prospect profile before the season. It's probably still the same now, but the difference is, is if you're paying, you know, the league minimum salary for mm-hmm. uh, Joey Gallo's production, you'll take that over paying eleven million dollars for it. And so, um, you know, it's a lot more palatable when it's coming uh, at that salary range. And so, kind of the similar thing with the starting pitchers, right? Bailey Ober maybe could take a step forward and become an even better pitcher. Uh, Same thing with Joe Ryan. But if they just are what they are and you're paying them, you know, these pre-arb and arbitration salaries, that's fantastic too. I, uh, if you're not shelling out a ton of money, but you do have quality pitchers. And of course the, with the twins, with their financial situation with technically, they don't have a TV deal for next season right now. Uh, and that is a big chunk of their revenue. Uh, that could be a decision in yeah. in, a, in deciding where they go in free agency. Yeah, it's about forty million uh, they would get per year in that. And so we have no idea what the TV situation is going to look like next year. Whether they're going to find a different broadcast partner, whether they're going to take uh, the broadcasting rights themselves. But either way, I think uh, I don't think the forty million dollars is impossible to make up. I know some other teams were like in the. 60 to 80 million dollar range and i think you're gonna have a lot harder time trying to recoup that 40 million i don't think is crazy especially given the fact that the twins generally have a pretty big market share because it's minnesota north dakota south dakota iowa right there's some of that that's split with the brewers Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the other midwestern teams but you do have a pretty good market that uh wants to watch twins games yeah i i did want to go back to walner for a second here um because you look at a season 76 games so basically half a season of games with the Twins. 14 homers, 42 runs, 41 RBI, uh, 249 average, but an 877 OPS, um, which is pretty much what you want from a major leaguer. I mean, that's like kind of above average major, major league production. Yeah. 144 WRC plus. Like this is a guy who at the end of the season or in the playoff series, the Twins were batting him in the bottom third of the lineup. Um, partially because he, he was slumping just a tiny bit. And he uh, is pretty streaky. That's and he, he is very streaky. Yeah. I mean, his strikeout rate 31%, um, which is actually down from where it's been in, in during the, the rest of his career. But this is a guy who he's only 25. There's still plenty of time for him to develop um, into, you know, being a bit more disciplined at the plate. Um, 11% walk rate. Like that's, that's great. That, yep. That's what you love to see from, from a, from, from a rookie power guy. Yeah. And so, I think there's still a lot of room for Walner to grow. He's already a decent defender in left field, 
Um, so that's something that the twins don't have to worry about. They don't have to like hide him essentially in the outfield. Um, he's already, you know, solid at that position. And uh, yeah, overall, I think he had a really solid rookie season with the yeah. twins. Um, and the other thing too, is when you're thinking about roster construction, which is going to be a big conversation here. Cause I, I think as we get into the off season, there's going to be some guys that are non-tendered or released by the twins that are maybe going to be a little surprising, mm-hmm. but Something to keep in mind with that is you have to keep in mind roster options, right? Minor league options specifically. And so Matt Walner still has, I think, two options after this year, uh, which means that if the Twins do maybe want to try to bring in another veteran and see if they can get some production out of him, uh, if Walner ends up being the odd guy out like Bailey Ober this last year, you can option him down to the minors, right? Trevor Larnick, uh, I think, has one left after this year, but uh, Alex Kirloff, we're going to talk about here in a second, he's out of options. So um, if he comes back and he doesn't look good and he needs some time, well, you can't just send him down to the minors. You have to, uh, you know, pass him through waivers in order to set him down. And so that's something that's going to be very valuable as we move forward here and talk about the twins potential roster options is that flexibility of, even if he doesn't deserve it, like Bailey Ober, just being able to do that is going to give you a lot better chance to stick with the team longer. Yeah. Do they burn? Kirilov's option because they started him in the minors this year. Yeah, he finished right? his rehab assignment and then they kept him down there for That's an extra right. two yeah. or three weeks. So he's technically, you know, he's still going to be relatively cheap next year in terms of a salary cost. But yeah, there yeah. is that sort of, oh yeah, now he, he needs to go through waivers if they're going to send him back to the yeah. minors. Which he would not get through. So someone like the A's would pick him up. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, before we move into full off-season mode here, do you have any final parting thoughts on the 2023 Twins? Uh, I mean, I I think probably one of the most impressive things is how, how the twins manage their pitching this season. Um, I mean, obviously I'm kind of the nerd when it comes to that. So, uh, (laughs) been, been talking a lot about, you know, just their stats here and there and all the advanced metrics of their pitching, but as much as, you know, we like to say like, oh, you know, Derek Falvey, like he, he bought a lot of these guys and that's true, right? Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, both those guys came uh, through transactions, but you also have to credit him for Bailey Ober being an actual, like legitimate major league pitcher. And that was a development story from the twins. Um, Louis Varland was solid for what, probably two thirds of his starts. He, he started yep. lagging a little bit as uh, teams figured him out. Um, but well, then he moved to the bullpen and became their second best reliever. Yeah. So arguably he's kind of also a success story there. Yeah. Um, Ketamaeda obviously was a transaction, but after coming back from Tommy John, um, he was essentially the Twins' best pitcher for the second half of the season. Uh, he kind of lagged a, l- a little in September, a little bit when the fatigue was getting to him. So I think Pablo kind of overtook him in that metric. But uh, really, you know, good story for the Twins in um, helping him kind of regain his form after basically not pitching yeah. for what seventeen months or something like that. Yep. Um, and then yeah, they they managed to put together a really solid bullpen as well. I mean, we harped on them all season and how terrible this bullpen construction was. And it was arguably really bad. Like, I think like what mid July, I think Jose de Leon had just blown at his elbow and we're like, this bullpen is garbage. I know because Jose de Leon was really good and really important for like a month long. Yeah. And he shouldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think what Brock Stewart, like had also had some elbow issues around that point. And then of course, you know, they did absolutely nothing uh, at the trade time, except, 
swapping Jorge Lopez, who I found out is actually back on the Orioles now, which is kind of funny. I think the Orioles just DFA'd him as well. Actually. Oh, did so they? <laughs> he, he was traded by the Twins and then DFA'd by the, the Marlins, uh, Marlins yeah. and then DFA'd by the Orioles. Yeah. So. And then, of course, the Twins DFA'd Dylan Flora, which I thought was hilarious. But yeah. But then that bullpen became a point of strength in the playoffs, which I thought was impressive. Yeah. It's one of the best bullpens in the playoffs, yeah. period. I mean, granted, it, it was because they moved Chris Paddock and Louis Varlin to the bullpen, but yeah. it shows how good that their development is with guys like that, where it's like, hey, you're not going to be a starter in, in in during the playoffs or kind of in this last month of, of the season, but let's get you to a place where you can get three more miles per hour on your, on your fastball or a couple more miles and a little bit more uh, nastiness on your cutter. You know, well, and doing that in Marlin. season two is incredibly impressive. Yeah, for, like for for Varland, Paddock maybe not as much. That's kind of what he was building up to mm-hmm. uh, coming back from his surgery. But Varland especially, that's super impressive from him and from the Twins being able to just completely change like that. Yeah, the Emilio Pagan Renaissance that was oh a lot gosh. of fun to witness. Yeah, uh, Griffin Jacks had his definitely low moments. There was definitely a lot of low moments for Griffin Jacks, but but the the advanced metrics say he was even better than last year. Yeah, you know? and then. And then the twins put him in. Well, Rocco specifically put him in to face the three best hitters of the Toronto Blue Jays two games in a row. You know, yeah. And I think there's just the confidence they have in their in their bullpen. I, I think they still need to add some pieces next yep. during the offseason for sure. Like this is not giving them a free pass on that. But it turned out to be an okay move that they didn't you know trade for I mean, some some reliever help it kind of turned out to be the right move, right? Because we were talking about, okay, what good reliever are they not going to have on the roster because there's just not room for him? And it ended mm-hmm. up being Cody Funderburg, yeah. who another development success success story there, right? Yeah. But, you know, they had to leave a reliever who was pretty good and frankly might have been like their third best reliever on the 2019 team. They left him off because mm-hmm. there were so many other good options. And with Varland also, I think that's really helpful too because um, his starting – as a starting pitcher, it's been up and down. And I think if you can build him up as a starter, he's going to stay as a starter because a good starter, I think, is pretty much better than a, a very good reliever in mm-hmm. almost every scenario. And so if you can uh, find a way to have that fastball play up a little bit more, even when he's at the lower velocity, you're going to take that. But if it just doesn't work out, well, then you can do what you did with Glenn Perkins, with Taylor Rogers, with all these other guys that have been some of the best relief pitchers in Twins history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Latroy Hawkins, another one. Just, okay, you're a reliever now, and guess what? Now you're one of the best ones in the league. Yeah, It establishes an excellent floor. Same thing with Paddock as well, where, yeah, he's making a little bit more money, so you'd probably prefer to have him starting, but if it doesn't work out, well, you just saw he can be a lockdown reliever out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and I, I, the one other thing I want to say with the pitching development too is with all these guys, they made them better, right? They didn't just come over and be just as good. Sonny Gray got better. Pablo Lopez got better. Kenta Maeda, you know, is 2020, but still he got better. All these guys took a huge step forward because um, the Twins have this, I think we can firmly call it this, you know, pitching development pipeline reputation now. Maybe it's not Cleveland level, but that's why Keuchel signed here. He had a few other minor league options, but he had heard good things about the Twins pitching development and thought, hey, I think I can get a little bit more out of them than some of these other guys that I may have a more direct line to playing with. So yeah, um, let's just that, that's going to help them around the league as they're trying to bring in free agents too. Let's just hope Joe Ryan like actually develops some secondaries though. <laughs> I think the big thing for him too will just be getting healthy. I don't know if he was ever fully healthy again after that yeah. injury. I but. just I just want him to have like a good sweeper so badly. 
I know. I think him getting a, a sweeper really helped. That splitter, though, against Houston was looking really nice. And yeah. we, we found out later it's because he knew he was really only going to go two innings. And so he was his uh, velocity on the splitter especially was up quite a bit. Um, but the splitter was looking nice, which is great. Yeah, if he can basically have better location on his pitches because that's going to be kind of the thing that Joe Ryan is. He's not going to blow you away with his velocity. But if his command is immaculate, then, yeah, he's going to take that that next step. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pivot into off-season mode. Let's look towards the future. We've been doing it a lot already, but we're going to kind of firmly do that. And, you know, going forward, we'll have some podcasts dedicated specifically to uh, some topics we want to delve into in more detail. But right now we're going to go over, you know, a few high-level overview type of things. Uh, But first, let's talk about the Twins exit uh, press availability, I guess you could call it. It wasn't really a press conference, but um, we talked about it a little bit already, but let's start with Byron Buxton, who uh, got knee surgery like two or three days ago, something like that, pretty much the day after uh, they had that press availability. And like we mentioned, the plan is totally for him to play center field and be healthy and be old Byron Buxton again, which I think all Twins fans kind of breathed a sigh of relief when they heard that because there's been a lot of, oh, is Byron ever going to be good again? And maybe we don't know. We don't know how his body's going to respond. But uh, by all intents and purposes, this is supposed to resolve the uh, lingering knee problems he's had for the last you know 18 months or so. I will say I've heard this before, <laughs> so right, right. I'm I'm not going to be immediately crowning him the the center fielder of 2024, but it is at least good to hear that the Twins are optimistic and they feel like that yeah that, that there is a path forward and, and it's not yeah. going to be pain management uh, for the next season. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but I don't think Byron got surgery last offseason, right? No, he had he this just, knee, it was just healing. Yeah, it was just rest and rehab was the plan. Yeah. And so now I think the hope is that, okay, rest and rehab clearly didn't work. And I think by the time they figured that out in spring training, it's like, okay, well, if we do the surgery now, he's going to miss a good chunk of the season. So let's see if we can manage it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that didn't work either. So let's go get the surgery. He'll have all offseason to rest and get ready. Uh, and we'll see. But like you mentioned, either way, whether he uh, is fully healthy for spring training or he needs uh, some time off. Either way, you know with Buxton at this point that you need a good backup center field option. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Michael A. Taylor back or maybe somebody else, or maybe it's just Willie Castro gets some more reps in center field in spring training. He did get a little bit better at defense. It wasn't as harrowing of routes that he was taking to carry. He he was league average. He was perfectly (laughs) fine. The other update, which is, I think, a little more disappointing, much more of a bummer, which was Alex Kirilov. He apparently had a tear of some extent in his labrum, which is a shoulder injury. It's his non-throwing shoulder, but Mm -hmm. as a uh, left-handed hitter, that's the one that I think takes the uh, brunt of the force. So uh, basically, they don't know exactly what the extent of the tear is with him. Uh, It's one of the things where they'll get in there during the surgery, and then they kind of figure it out. They see how it looks. Uh, But tentatively i think they're looking at like a six month time frame which means he'll miss the beginning of the year again it means he will not have an off season again for the third year in a row and like i mentioned before he's out of options and so uh maybe kirloff comes back and he's good but again this is kind of in the byron buxton plan of um you have to have a backup option there because he i don't think he's gonna be ready for the start of the season and even if he is uh, you have to have someone else ready to go yeah it's it's really unfortunate for kirloff that he's basically dealt with injuries what the last three off seasons pretty much yep. and that wrist, wrist injuries last two and then shoulder this year yeah and he was a top 100 prospect you know he was kind of consensus the number one twins prospect for several years um 
and it's unfortunate that he's had to deal with injuries because there there's been spans throughout the season where it's like oh this is this is a you know the, a top 100 prospect right where yeah. it, it he's looked healthy his wrist isn't bothering him he's finally hitting for power again and then it just feels like you know I mean, it, the whole the whole way that he got his his shoulder injured in the first place was just a stupid play uh just right. fielding a ball right and so um it definitely showed that he was not doing well in the playoffs. Uh, he, he just looked really slow. Yeah, he just didn't look good at all. And yeah, even though it sucks in terms of the timeline that he's not going to get a full offseason, that he's not going to get spring training. Um, I think there's still a lot of promise in his bat. Yeah. Um, he's obviously a solid first baseman. Um, it, it does put the Twins in a little bit of a bind here for what to do uh, yeah. coming into the season. But that being said, I think uh, I'm obviously not ready to give up on Kirilov. I think he's shown that he's capable of hitting at a major league level, but it's yep. just going to be if the injuries, similar to Buxton, um, are going to be the reason that he can't produce at, you know, let's just say 162 game level. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's really discouraging too because, you know, like the week before he injured that shoulder, he won AL Player of the Week. He had three yeah. home runs in that week, right? Like, it was electric. Like, all right. He's, and, you know, there was, the whole discourse of like, oh, he's he's putting it all together, right? This is mm-hmm. finally it. He's healthy. He's talking about how he finally feels healthy. He feels good. He's has a lot of confidence in the wrist, which was the other big thing. And then the other thing that we saw from him uh, this year, which was a huge step in the right direction, was a big increase in his walk rate. Yeah. Um, where he, that was always the question of like, he always made good contact. He always was attacking his zone well. He just needed to lay off a few more pitches, take a few more walks, and he started doing that. So, um. I think you're right. The, uh, the Twins aren't going to give up on him, right? But I think this year is kind of going to be his last chance, mostly based off of um, roster construction, right? Of He's out of options. If he isn't performing, whether it's because of injury or any other reason, well, then if you, if you can't figure it out after this year, you kind of have to move on. But there's enough promise right now that um, you keep him on the roster, you move, you move forward with that as the plan, but you have to have – um, someone else ready to go. And I think that's where we can kind of talk about our first um, off-season need, which probably is a first baseman. Now, with all of these, as we talk about them, the nice thing about where the Twins are is that they have plenty of internal options for pretty much all of their needs. It's just, do you want to go with those or do you want to bring in some veterans and have those guys as the backup option? And I think part of the reason you saw the Twins be really good in 2023 is they brought in veterans and they had the depth backup options, and that's kind of what worked, right? Michael A. Taylor, Willie Castro, Kyle Farmer, those guys all came in. And then once it was like, okay, well, maybe we need something a little more powerful, a little more regular. Well, that's when you bring in Julian, Walner, uh, Lewis, right, that can come in and step up. And I think if me as a fan, that's kind of like what I would see, right? There's been a lot of talk about, oh, Brooks Lee can do this, and Austin Martin can do this, and whatever. But those guys are – Brooksley is a top-rated prospect. He's a top-rated prospect because he has a really high floor, right? He hasn't hit all that great uh, at any level in the minors. He's been good, right? But he hasn't been, oh, wow, this guy, this bat needs to be here right now, not like a Jackson Holiday type of prospect, right? Uh, and then Austin Martin is coming off of a year where, yeah, he hit well in AAA this year, but the year before it was pretty awful, right, to the point where he was dropped off of all, you know, Twins top 10 prospect rankings across the internet. And so – uh, having any of those guys as your primary option, I think, would not be great. And so that's where I'd like to see them bring back someone like uh, Michael A. Taylor or a veteran first base option to 
fill in a hole temporarily. And then if you move to one of these other guys, that's, that's okay. Right. That's kind of how you have it built up. Yeah. First base is also a pretty easy position yeah. to fill. Thankfully right. for this team. I did it with Donovan Solano for a million bucks this year. Yeah. I mean, if, if they really want to, I, I don't think they should based on what they've been saying in, in terms of um, positions, but you, you could work with uh, Edward Julian to be better, a, you know, more of defensive first baseman yeah uh it is a little different you know movement for generally for second baseman they're not you know always diving to their left but or to their right sorry uh but that is kind of a key skill for for first baseman so that's something that needs to be learned but if there's anything we've learned about julian it's that he he works hard and he's if if the twins say hey we're going to need you to be a first baseman for the first two months of the season because we're going to put kirloff on the 60 dil and um you know, we'll have you play there for, let's just say 40 games or something like that, then, you know, that's something that they need to figure out in their program. Or if it means, I don't know, re-signing Donovan Solano, it's not the worst thing. It He played, he played pretty well. He played Again, I don't decently. Know if you want him as your everyday first baseman, but being yeah. the guy against lefties and a pinch hitter, he did great in that role. Yeah. So I, I think there's still plenty of options to fill first base um, with either options that were on the team currently or are free, you know, free agents with the team. But again, getting a free agent first baseman is not very difficult. No. Or, you know, I, I think this is the one of any of these that we're going to talk about in a second here that they'd be most likely to fill internally or just by bringing back Donovan Solano, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can do Julian, which I think would be a pretty easy move. I think we're also going to get a big insight into what's going on here uh, based off of Jorge Polanco's yes. option, mm-hmm. which they have to pick up. I believe it's by five days after the World Series is when they have to decide on that. Um, and so if they pick up Polanco's option, I think that's a pretty good sign that they feel good about Julian at first. Uh, or it's also possible they, piss, they pick it up and then they trade him. But um, that's going to be the kind of the first big indicator of what the plans are at first base, especially. Um so yeah, they have a lot of other, of options there. I think you know the high level external option you'll probably hear about from various people is going to be Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. who is coming off of a major injury. Maybe he's trying to work his way back to play uh, in the NLCS roster. It sounds like I don't know how likely that is, um, but coming off of that injury, most likely he's going to have to settle for a one year prove it type of deal, a Joey Gallo level deal. You know, one year in the ten to fifteen million range. Uh, but my whole thing with that is if he is going to take that deal, I don't know why you wouldn't take it from the Phillies, right? Maybe yeah. the Phillies decide they want to cut back on spending or they have too many big slugging, bad fielding guys. But, um, you know, if the Phillies gave him that, I don't know why he wouldn't go back there where he's played his whole career and by all intents, he loves it there and everybody there loves him. So, yeah, unless they, you know, intend to keep Kyle Schwarber at DH and they don't want to move uh, Bryce Harper back to the outfield. But yeah, to me, so- to me, the the only issue with Reese, and this really is an issue with first baseman, but he is turning thirty one next season, so he is a little bit on the older side. But, but on a one year deal, I mean, yeah, it's true. He's actually one of my favorite players to pick up in fantasy, so I was kind of devastated actually when yeah. he uh, when he got hurt this season. I mean, if you just want, if you literally just wanted to take the Joey Gallo money uh, and maybe add on a little bit more for inflation and give that over to Hoskins, I think that would be an amazing deal, right? Now, maybe somebody's going to come out out here, and since it's such a weak free agent class, give him like four for 70 or something like that. But I think it's more likely that he takes a one year deal and then tries to get, you know, the hundred million dollar deal in the next off season. Yeah. It's potential. There's definitely potential there. Um, he's not like a huge slugger. I mean, he had 30 homers last season, which was, uh, you know, pretty decent. His highest total was 34 back in 2018. Um, so he, but he is a really good player. 
Um, yeah. I like him a lot, but yeah, it, it, it might take a little bit more money than the twins are willing to stomach to get a first baseman. When, like you said, and like we've said, there's a, there's a bunch of internal options. Yeah, especially given what we're going to talk next, talk about next year, which is Sonny Gray. So mm-hmm. Sonny Gray is the Twins' biggest free agent, probably the biggest question that they have yeah. um, going forward. And so this is, by all accounts, probably his last chance to get a really big payday, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you hear a lot about what that'll potentially look like. Uh, and I think a good comparison is Chris Bassett and what he got from the Blue Jays, which was three for 70, something like that, I believe. Yeah. I think so. Um, And I don't think the twins would go that high. Right. And so I think a lot of people have assumed, oh, Sonny, you know, this is going to be a good last hurrah. He'll leave after this year and they'll have to replace him. But then in the uh, postseason press availability, he's talking to reporters about how, oh, we're building something great here. I'd love to come back. Um, And Dan Hayes of the Athletic replied to somebody on Twitter basically saying, Sonny Gray didn't say this, but his feeling was that Sonny would be willing to come back for less. It just has to be still you know, a good number. He's not going to come back for five million bucks, right? It's still going to have to be probably in the twenty million dollar range. But maybe you know you get two for forty instead of three for sixty, and that would be good enough for Sonny to come back. Yeah. So Bassett's deal is actually three for sixty three million. So okay. it's not as expensive. Uh, he's currently thirty, like thirty four and a half, which is basically. And I think Sonny Gray is like thirty three. I think. Yeah. So it's almost a spot on comparison. Really yeah. good starting pitcher with uh, a good track record, but maybe not a perfect spotless track record kind of yeah. getting their last payday. I will be honest. I would be okay with three years, 60 million for Sonny. Really? Um, Interesting. Or even 365. Because I think that the, the thing is the twins are going to offer him the qualifying offer. Obviously, it's because be around it, 20 million. It's, it's 20 million, yeah. mainly because if he signs anywhere else for more than, what is it, 50 million, they, they get yeah. back the first round pick. So uh, there is some, there's, it's not necessarily just a money reason, but they definitely feel like he's worthy of 20 yeah. million, at oh, least for this year. Well, uh, and frankly, if he was going to sign somewhere else for less than 50 million, I think the Twins would take him back for that. Completely. The other thing with Sonny, I think that works in his favor is that he is kind of a command guy. Um, he, yeah. He's never, I mean, he had some good strikeout numbers, but really he kind of thrives at the fact that he has a six pitch mix. Uh, so we can really mix it up with, with people, uh, with, with batters, of course, hilariously with a six pitch mix, he ends up not being very good third time through the order, which I think is funny. But, um, that being said, I think if he and the twins, I think, you know, as the season went on, yes, there was that whole, you know, fight that he and, and Rocco like allegedly had at the dugout, but which now we can officially say was absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But at all. Yeah. I think there was an understanding between the, the twins and Sonny is that they trust him, Yep. but he also needs to trust the team. And I think he's, he's learned that this season. Um, and he's, I think he's, he's a, a really good, you know, leader for, uh, the team. And I would yep. not be surprised to see the twins, you know, give him basically a market deal. Yep. Um, I, I think the big thing here is going to be um, how much are the twins willing to spend, right? Mm-hmm. Because we talked about the TV deal already. That's going to be a big factor in what that money looks like. So the money they have coming off of the books this year is, uh, you know, the real money is uh, Sonny, Gallo, and Pagan, which adds up to be around $26 million, I believe. And so... And my um, technically, right? Yeah, my A to two, which I, his contract is so weird. I have no idea what that ends up being because he has so many incentives built into it. But then at the same time, uh, Correa's deal goes up a bit, uh, assuming you pick up 
Polanco and Coupler's options, their salaries go up a bit from what they were before. Arbitration deals all bring everything up a bit. And so um, I, I would imagine when it's all said and done, you're probably left with an opening day payroll about $20 million less with where you had it um, in 2023. And so with that, you can just take that and give it to Sonny and say, okay, this is the team we're running back. And so do you want to do that or do you want to spread it to three different guys and get a reliever and a first baseman or two relievers and a first baseman, something like that. There's other ways they can free up money too. Obviously we talked about uh, Polanco. There's a chance they could just decline his option straight up or accept it and then trade him. Christian Vasquez, I think is maybe going to be a trade candidate mm-hmm. where um, he's a good veteran presence. That everybody really likes, but uh, I think the playoffs clearly showed the twins think of him as their backup catcher at this point and paying $10 million a year for a backup catcher. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, if there wasn't a good deal out there, I think they would happily take him back. But at the same time, you know, if you're just talking about, well, do we want Christian Vasquez? We're going to free up $10 million to bring back Sonny Gray. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a pretty easy choice. So yeah. uh, they could do that. Kepler, I think is firmly going to be back after his second half. Um, <laughs> his, his option will be picked up. He'll be back playing for the twins. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have any question about that. Yeah, I I think the team is is in a good spot, and it's it's nice that there's not a lot of holes that are going to be opening yep. up because you know the the three guys that you mentioned, Sonny's really the only one out of those three that was like occupying a major role on the team, right? Yeah. Uh, Gallo was replaced by Walner. Um, I mean, if you really want to say Donovan Solano, technically, like wasn't he was an integral part of the team that was more because of injury. Uh, more than and also anything. he's cheap if you want to bring him back, right? It's not like, yeah, he had a good year, mm-hmm. but it's not like he's, some team's going to go out there and give him $8 million bucks now, right. right? It'll be maybe two instead of one. Now. Yeah. Emilio Pagan was the boss, but he was also the, kind of the fourth option out yep. of the bullpen, really, uh, if we're being completely honest. Um, technically, I think Brock Stewart is actually technically a free agent, but I think the Twins are going to bring him back. No, he uh, he's not a free agent. They still oh, have, really? I think, three of his RB years. They're, he'll be here. Oh, forever. that's hilarious. Yeah, no. That's Brock, also Brock unfortunate Stewart. for him. He's 32 years old. Yeah, this, he, he's not really going to ever get a payday. It's gonna, it's very Thielbar-esque. Oh, right? that Where sucks. It's like, that's true. He's yeah. Out of the league. yeah, he's yeah. out of the league for a bit, but he comes back and they still have control of the RB yeah, years. Yeah, that's so. fair. Forgot about that. Um, Yeah, like the, the guys that are coming off the team aren't aren't like major players. It's not like they're right. losing a Carlos Correa basically. Right. Yep. So, and, and I think I remember last year, um, the Correa thing where it's like, Oh man, he, he signed with the giants. Oh my gosh. Like I remember having this big feeling of dread yeah. and just being like, man, like there's just no way you can replace that guy. And there's not right. Yeah. And that's just not going to happen. And then being like, Oh man, what's even the point? Why do we even follow the twins? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he backs out and like, Oh, what is there a chance? And he signs with the Mets. I'm like, man, again, I have to have to go through this whole grieving process again and then he signs with twins that's great but yeah there's nothing like that where even Sonny if he leaves um he's not irreplaceable right I I think there's a world where Joe Ryan takes a step forward and can very easily replicate uh Sonny Gray's production now that being said um as it stands right now you're kind of rolling with Varland as your fifth starter but as we know you need like seven to eight starters to really get through a season Mm -hmm. and I think the twins would much prefer to have Varland as the sixth guy instead of the fifth yeah. So one guy we haven't talked about yet, and I know we're running a little bit long, so I don't know how we could we could maybe table this <laughs> conversation for another day. But uh, Tyler Molly is his, his number is also coming off the books. He is undergoing Tommy John, so he's going to be out for most of next season, or kind of be in a Chris Paddock role. I am not sure what the Twins do with him, and. I would love us to bring him back on like a Chris Paddock type of deal where, you know, it's like a two year, $12 million deal. I don't think he's going to take it, but 
that is one of those interesting sort of hmm, may, maybe he could serve some purpose for this team, yeah. not next or, year or maybe end of season next year. Uh, but ultimately the twins kind of signed into a, a longer deal just so, you know, he could recap with the team and then ultimately uh, be an integral part in 2025. Yeah. I think Pat Paddock was a little bit of a different scenario too, because they had um, the Arbier left on him too. Yes. And so yep. they, essentially, they essentially extended about one year. Yeah. Uh, maybe a better comparison would be Michael Pineda who they signed in 2018, yep. mm-hmm. right? It was two for 20 paid in $5 million in the first year. Basically here's $5 million to rehab mm-hmm. second year, $15 million to start. And so, they could do something like that. The reason I would not go for that is just that um, if the Twins are going to be as financially uh, in a financial hard financially hard position, mm-hmm. um, do you want to waste say five million dollars this year on Mally to just rehab, right. or would you rather put that towards Emilio Pagan to come back and be a solid bullpen guy? Yeah. Um, or and, add and to a sunny gray contract, right? Or add to a sunny gray con- contract, right? Yeah. And so that that's the part of this where it's so hard for us to tell because I feel like most off seasons going into the off season, you have a pretty good idea of how much the Twins are going to spend. Mm-hmm. We don't really have any idea right yeah. now, right? And so obviously, if Joe Polad comes in here and wants to do what he said last year, which is, hey, if this team has an opportunity to win a championship Mm -hmm. i'm willing to spend more well this team clearly does yeah but the tv situation puts it in a completely different ballpark Mm -hmm. and uh with the poll ads in general i think it's fair to be a little skeptical but they have paid a lot more in recent years with correa with buxton with pablo yeah um you know they're they're making commitments to guys that deserve it and Mm -hmm. so Sonny Gray would be that guy. It's just does the TV contract put in so put so much in question that you're a little more scared to go out there and spend? Because if it didn't, I would say the Twins are probably going to up their payroll from last year. But we just have to wait to see. And so unlike years before, where we would at least have an estimate, I have absolutely no idea. Right. So yeah. uh, with that being said, though. I'm also not going to be here and be the guy to count billionaires' dollars for them. So <laughs> yeah. if he does just want to pay Tyler Malley $5 million and that does not at all affect what they're going to do otherwise, then great. I would be absolutely for that. What I don't want to do is do that if it's then going to affect other guys you could potentially bring in. Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of interesting yeah. uh, rumors about the Twins. All good things, really, because they're yep. not in a rebuild sort of situation here. They did have you know, their highest attendance since 2019. So that's kind of a good thing for, for their, uh, you know, their payroll, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I think the general fan consensus is pretty positive, right? Which is going to yeah. contribute to more attendance, more ticket sales, more merch sales mm-hmm. next year. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my season of going to twins games this year. Um, and it's, it's an exciting team to follow, but I would made, I would not be surprised to see nothing move for the Twins, except maybe picking up options um, until they uh, announce a TV deal for next season. Yeah. I, uh, I think before the deal is announced, again, this is frustrating, but we'll have an idea based off of the moves that they make. Yeah. If they bring Sonny back, I think they're feeling pretty good about their TV situation, mm-hmm. right? Either way, I would expect them to bring in a starter. It's just, is that going to be Sonny or is that going to be uh, Kenta Maeda or somebody like Kenta Maeda where right. it's more of a 4-5 type of pitcher because yeah. either way I think they want to bump Varland back a spot in the pecking order it's just um, how are they going to do that yeah but we'll we'll cover all of that in our next podcast boy will we because we've <laughs> been going for a while here so let's wrap it up there um, 
our 2023 recap pod. We will be coming a little bit less frequently. We haven't figured out a schedule quite yet, but we'll uh, keep doing this regularly during the off season. And we'll be here with breaking news, analysis, all of the good stuff you come to expect. And best of all, John's breaking fantasy baseball analysis. Um, John, what is your fantasy advice for 2024 for people getting well ahead of their preparation? Uh, if you're not drafting Ronald Acuna first, I don't know what you're doing with your life. I got him second this last year, and it was my steal of the draft. So. <laughs> Trey Tater go first in that one. Uh, who was it? I think it was Soto, actually. Who oh, went first. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a league with John Foley, who has a undying love for Juan Soto mm. in pretty much every way imaginable. Okay. So um, anyway, but... Uh, be sure to subscribe to the pod if you like what you heard. You can check out myself at Twiki Town for all of your good stuff there. And then you can hear John at Pitcher List as well for fantasy baseball. Um, I think that's all we got here. John, do you have any parting thoughts on the 2023 Twins? Uh, just be glad it happened. We are no longer a cursed team. We're no longer the laughing stock of the league. So that's always good. Also, Astros just lost game one. So let's go. Ah, even better. All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap it up. Uh, We will be with you guys soon. Go Twins.